All right, we're, we're going to be in Galatians uh, again today. We're in our third week of our series. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, we're going to be talking uh, further uh, about Paul's interaction um, with um, some people. Now, when I say people, we're going to talk about his interaction um, with the, uh, the apostles. We talked a little bit last week, and we talked about how um, when, when Paul went to uh, um, Jerusalem and he saw some of the apostles the first time, remember he said he didn't go so he could receive the message in which he needed to preach because he received the message of the gospel. He received the gospel from Jesus himself. So he didn't go there for approval of, okay, is my message good? He went there um, because uh, of, of other reasons. We're going to see a couple here, or a, a reason here in, in a second. Um, but know that um, as, as Paul is giving this, think of, of, of chapter, you know, the end of chapter 1, or I should say half of chapter 1 into chapter 2. All the way up to chapter 3 is this like, Paul's telling a, a sort of a story, he's telling an account, he's given um, some facts of things that, that, that took place. Uh, because then in, in chapter 3, we're going to see a, a really sharp turn, and the sharp turn is he's going to go into identifying directly uh, the, the, the churches in Galatia. But right now, he's kind of given his, um, his background story. It's all about context, right? Uh, like in, in this morning in, in, uh, in Bible study, I asked uh, the guys, actually I asked uh, Zach particularly, I said, so uh, bring us up to speed of where we're at in our Bible study. We're, we're doing David and Goliath, and we're doing in the Valley of Elah. And, and, and Zach said, um, hey, that guy's making fun of, of our God and we need to go get him. Well, he didn't give any context of, of like who that guy was, who it was that was speaking, you know, all, all of the, those important inf- in, in those important details. So context context matters. So when we're looking at this um, this story of, of uh, or this letter to the churches of Galatia, um, Paul's given us like the context of what is going on, and that's like we're right in the middle of um, this this contextualization here of um, the whole letter. Some of you are like, I don't really care about that. Go on. I got you. We ready? Everybody have a good week? Eh. The weather, like, is crazy. We're supposed to get, like, how many inches of snow today? Three inches of snow? Today? Today, like, yeah. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll probably be gone by tomorrow, but, yeah, it's supposed to be snow. It's like, hey, welcome to Ohio. I, hey, that's, I got some interactions. Talk about the weather in Ohio. Ah, Galatians chapter 2, verse uh, 1. Then after 14 years, so again, remember, he's, he's telling a story. He, he, he's actually picking up um, where he left off in the last chapter. Uh, and, and for those of you that, 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 that um, wonder why there's a break in the chapter here, remember, chapter divisions didn't come along until it was like, the, I think, the 12th century, somewhere around there. Maybe it was even the 11th century, 1100s, which yeah, it would be the 12th century. So right in the 12th century, chapter divisions didn't come on, come about. So basically, this is just like a, a break in a paragraph, um, and then it looked like for a, a good place to put a, a big number two. But it's still part of the same thing he was saying in, in this first uh, chapter, because he, he connects it with then. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, because remember, he said he, back in, in verse 18, he went to Jerusalem and he visited uh, Cephas, which is Peter, and I uh, saw the, the, the Lord's brother, James. Uh, so he says, then after 14 years, 
I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas is a key, uh, a, a key individual in uh, this um, in this letter, he, it helps us kind of date the letter a little bit. We won't go into to all of that. Um, we talked a little bit about that in the, the, uh, the first week. But Barnabas is like his right-hand man um, when he, ha- he went to this uh, region uh, to begin with in his first missionary journey. It says, Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation set before them. Or, I'm sorry, Set before and set before them. I guess I should make sure I put the right words in there, right? Because that would totally confuse everything. So let's go back. Verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. That's going to be important there. Who, who, who is this that seemed influential? Just kind of put your, your, your finger on that. You'll, you, I'll, I'll explain it in a second. The gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles. In order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So he's not going up there. So, so here, some are like, well, wait a second. He's going up to uh, Jerusalem now after 14 years of preaching to make sure what it is that he was preaching was the right stuff. No, 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 no. That's not what he is saying here. Because remember, he is addressing um, this, this group, and we're going to see in a, in a minute, he's addressing the, uh, uh, this group that has come into the church and has caused a lot of trouble. And what he's doing is he's coming up to Jerusalem to make sure, like, okay, all of this work that I've done, how much impact has this other crazy false gospel, uh, how much has it crept into uh, the, 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 uh, the, the overall kingdom of God here and the, and the plan which God has? How much, I think he's going in there and saying, like, how, do I need to ratchet stuff up? Do I need to uh, assassinate somebody? Right? No, no, I don't see that in there. No, I, I don't see that either in there either, but I know who Paul is, right? Remember, he was zealous for the church, or against the church, and then now he's zealous for the church. Dude has a little twinge of Jason Bourne in him. And now I got your attention. You have that, that, crazy, that crazy music in the background, right? Some of you are like, who's Jason Bourne? Oh my goodness. Repent. Um. <clears throat> But it says here that, but even Titus, so he says that he, he took Titus with him and he said, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, this is important because um, remember the, the, the whole argument that we talked about um, is that um, there's these, these, these group, this group of people called the Judaizers, and they were saying that to uh, be a Christian, you had to not only believe in Jesus Christ, but you had to follow the law. Now, one of the, the primary uh, visible representations of following or symbols of following the law is circumcision. So what, what Paul is doing here is he's giving this, I look at this as like, Titus was like, like the test, test subject. In, in, in Paul's mind, maybe he was taking him up to, to Jerusalem with him because if he got to Jerusalem and the, the apostles were, would say, well, he's got to be circumcised, then Paul would know, wait a second, something's got to, something is wrong. But... It says here, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, I love this, verse 4, yet because of false brothers, those are the Judaizers, because, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. So he says, even though 
we had an encounter with the, the, these guys. And the encounter with these Judaizers, um, remember, Paul's talking about, uh, he's giving some context here. He's giving a little bit of history. Did he have this encounter with these Judaizers um, here in uh, uh, Jerusalem when he came? I, I don't know. He may have. But it's probably more likely that he had a, another encounter, a different um, uh, place with these Judaizers. Probably, and this is kind of um, about 60% uh, factual and 40% speculation here, just to, to let you to know that. Um, it, it was probably in Antioch when, when he had this uh, encounter, the first encounter with Judaizers. But he, nonetheless, what he's doing is he's recounting this interaction in which he had with this group. What, if it was here in Jerusalem or if it was in Antioch, it's the same group that is, has infiltrated the church of Galatia. So maybe it, it wasn't, um, the, the interaction did not happen here in Jerusalem, but what he is explaining is, I've had this interaction with this group of people before. And we'll talk more in a second about that. Verse 6, and from those who seemed influential, remember we, I said that before, put your finger on that. It's important here. But it says what they were makes no difference. God shows no partiality. Those who seemed influential, he keeps bringing this up and over and over again. I don't understand this, but hold on. He added nothing to me. So whoever it was that Paul is talking that says that they're influential in the church, those who are influential, those who, who, who are, are, are um, perceived to be leaders in the church, He's, he's addressing them. It says that they seemed to add, they added nothing to me. Now, that's not a derogatory term. He's just saying, hey, even when I went up there, those who were influ influential didn't add anything to me. They didn't add anything to the, 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 the gospel in which I was preaching. They didn't add anything into the confidence in which I had. They don't, didn't add anything into the, which, in the zeal in which I preach. Amen for zeal, right? You're telling me to turn it down. That's fine. On the contrary... On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to me, I'm sorry, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask, asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Those influential people in which uh, Paul is referring to over and over and over again, he's referring to the apostles there that were in um, uh, the, the church in Jerusalem. Because he says that, that it's uh, James and Cephas and John who seem to be pillars. That Cephas is Peter. He's saying, James and Peter and John, these are the influential guys that were in the church um, in Jerusalem. Now, remember he says that they didn't add anything to him. He, again, he's not saying this in a negative term. He's, just, he's saying that the confidence in which I have, I have confidence, because remember what we talked about last week? That the, the, the gospel is not man's gospel, but the gospel is God's gospel. And the gospel that was given to uh, um, Paul came directly from Jesus. So what he is saying here is even the influential leaders, even the, 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 the elders in the church, the, the, the guys who, who are uh, the ones who are, are leading the flock, even they didn't add anything to me because my message comes straight from, from, from Christ himself. 
So as we look at this, we, we can see that, that Paul, he's building up a, a, somewhat of a case here. He, he's saying, he, he's given that, that his authority in which he has is not given to him by men. It's given to him by God. The message in which he has is not given, him, given to him by men. It's given to him by God. But it's given to him for a purpose. Now, the purpose in which I want to look at for today, that, that I, I believe that we can see here, is that um, the, the purpose that, that, that Paul has is he wants to preserve the gospel. It's for the preser- preservation of the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean as if the gospel is powerless and Paul has to uh, uh, protect it so it doesn't uh, um, fail. That's not what he's saying. But as we're going to see here in a second, there's this great importance to preserve the truth for others and for future generations. Let's look at, at, at verses, verses uh, 4 and 5 uh, specifically. Because in verses 4 and 5, um, I want to look at six things that, that I see here that I think we can observe um, as um, how we can uh, live free. Because remember, the, the whole focus of this, this sermon series is living free under the gospel of grace, right? We all with us? If you have to, like, poke your neighbor or pinch your neighbor, make sure they're awake. Uh, if they hit you, that's on, that's on you. So, that was free. At least some, are we alive? Do we need to do the up, down, everybody, up, down, up, down, up, down, and get the blood flowing? No? Do we need to get Dan with the flags running around? That would be awesome. It's no snakes. No, 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 we don't do that here. I draw the line right there. Well, what we have here is Paul is talking about uh, um, enemies of grace. In this whole section, it's really this whole book, he's addressing enemies of grace. Uh, what we're going to see here in, in verses 4 and 5 is um, how we can live free when confronted with enemies of grace. And, and it, uh, if somebody has the question um, here, what is an enemy of grace? You're in, in great company, because that was my question. Like As I'm, as I'm writing this and, and going through this study, and, uh, I see, well, wait, we have these guys who are against, who are opposed to something. They, they therefore are enemies of grace of what, what Paul is preaching. He's preaching the gospel of grace. Therefore, they are enemies of grace. And, and I wrote this, that um, an, an enemy of grace is just one who distorts the gospel. Just think about that for a second. One who distorts the gospel. They're, they are therefore an enemy of grace. What's the gospel? It's the good news of God's redemptive plan for sinful humanity. What is grace? It's the unma- unmerited favor of God, Right? And anyone who distorts the gospel and adds anything to the gospel, that's what we're talking about when we say distort. They're adding things to the gospel. Like in this situation, they're saying that you have to be circumcised along with believing in Jesus. Therefore, they're enemies of grace. Put your, keep your finger here in Galatians and turn back to Acts chapter 15. Maybe this will help paint a clearer picture for you. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Now, before I get in that, look, look what it says there at the, the uh, introduction to um, that, that, that uh, paragraph there, that pericope here, uh, that section of Scripture. It says the Jerusalem Council. Um, it, it's thought that a lot of this uh, um, same interaction that was taking place um, in uh, the churches of Galatia, were the, the, the uh, results 
of the, the things that were going on, forced the uh, action in Jeru- the Jerusalem Council? Very well could be. A lot of the, there's a lot of similarities. Is it, is it tit for tat? I, I don't know. It's not clear. Anybody says, well, this is, the reason that they're doing this is because of what's happened in Galatia. It, it very well could be. I mean, and it's very probable. But there's still a little bit of variance here. We don't know. But what we do know is that it was addressing the same group of individuals. It's, it's the uh, Judaizers. Because look what it says. Verse 15. I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then verse 2 it says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, again, uh, why I wanted you to to look at that real quick was, um, this is that you have to be circumcised, you have to add something to the gospel, you have to do this law, you have to abide by the law here, so that you can really truly love Jesus. What, What have we been calling that? Legalism, thank you, very Absolutely. That's, that's legalism. And what we have here is an enemy of grace is one who distorts uh, the gospel. Therefore, it's one who acts out in legalism. And if we remember, some of you should already start to go like, oh, wait a second. We talked in the first week that some of us have a tendency to, to, to fall into legalism. Does that mean that I am falling into being an enemy of grace? I want to set your mind at ease. And tell you, absolutely. I mean, you think about it. If we're distorting the gospel at all, we are, are, are flirting with being an enemy of grace. Now, I don't say that for us to like, oh, we gotta, oh, crap, now what do I do? Well, here, here's what I, I think that we have to, to, to understand is we have to understand why it's so very important to understand the gospel, to understand the truth of the gospel, and understand what grace truly is, so that we don't distort it. So that we don't try to, on our own power, or by our own rules, or to earn God's favor, we don't do all of this kind of stuff and say, hey God, look at me! Aren't you pleased with me now? So we understand that God is pleased with you because of what Christ has done. And we have to live on it. That's the gospel of grace. That doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But what we, I think that we need to be aware of is that if we fall into legalism, it's not just a funny term that, that, that churches use or, or Christians use um, to identify and, and um, to, to poke fun at other Christians. This is, it, it, you're flirting with becoming and being an enemy of, of the grace in which God has shed upon you, He has given to you, to me. And I don't think any, anybody in here want to be an enemy of grace? Anybody want to, to, to be an enemy of God? No, I don't think so. So I think it's, it's important to understand what makes that happen. So he, here's what we're going to do. Six, six observations here from just verses 4 and 5. All right, verse 4 says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. I think the first observation that, that I've made here is I ask this question, well, who are these guys? We've already talked about that. They're, they're Judaizers. But Paul expressly says that they are false brothers. 
Now, when we, when we look at this and we, we kind of unpack, um, what, what, is, what is a false brother? A false brother is, is um, a deliberately, now understand this, a deliberately deceptive person pretending to be a believer. Okay? A deliberately deceptive person pretending to be a believer. Why am I, why am I stressing that? Because I think that this is where the devil can creep in. And he can start to, to, to attack your, your understanding of grace, and you're going to start, well, am I deceptive? Am I? No, 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 no. Listen to what it's saying. These false brothers, they, 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 had this, they were deliberate in what it is that they were doing. We're going to see here in a second, like they came in with a mission. But they, they are the, the Judaizers, what they were doing is they were distorting the significance of Christ's atoning work. So, well, what do you mean they were distorting the significance? Because Jesus, upon the cross, when He dies for our sins, when He pays the penalty for death, He says these, these words that I, even if you, uh, um, you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, you've heard these words. He, he says these words, it is finished, right? Let's try that again. It is finished, right? So what He says is, it is complete. The saving work for uh, uh, sinful humanity... It is complete. He doesn't say, it is finished as long as they are circumcised. He just didn't have not that much breath, maybe, right? I'm sure somebody could speculate, well, he would have said that, but he just didn't have enough time before he died. No, 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 no. He said the, the essential words, it is finished. What the Judaizers are doing, they're distorting that significance of the atoning uh, work by, put, by putting other qualifications. They're adding other qualifications to being saved. Now, I, I'm, I, I know that, that, that it, 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 we're not going to get into the circumcision thing again. Remember, men in tights, go there and you see it. Um, but if, 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 we may not be wrestling with the, the whole circumcision and, and being a, a, a believer today because I, I don't know what the statistic is, but I, I know my son, even, we didn't even like, ask for him to be circumcised, but he was you know, when he was a baby. And that's like the normal practice that most, most males are, in, in our, at least in America, I don't know, anywhere else, uh, are, are circumcised. So I don't think we wrestle with, with that the fact of being saved and having to be circumcised, we're like, well, I'm already circumcised anyway, so being saved, just, I just add that to it. I don't think we wrestle with that. But what we need to wrestle with is, is, is the, the, the principle of the matter, is adding anything to the gospel. That's what the point is here. It's not necessarily circumcision. Circumc- I can't even say the word now. Circumcision, whatever. <laughs> it's not that. What, what, it, it is focusing on, it's Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus anything, and that's not it. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. We don't have to add G- anything at all to what, the, the, the saving work of Jesus Christ. And, and what's happening is, is these imposters have come in. These false brothers, they're, they're saying that they, they are Christians, but they're coming in uh, just so that they can um, disrupt things. So I, I, I say this, one of the, the, in this observation, we have to be able to be aware of imposters. Now, when I say that, 
Some of you, there's going to be two camps, I think. Well, actually, probably three. three the third camp's going to be like, well, I don't really care. All right, whatever. But there's going to be two other camps. One, there's going to be those who are overly zealous about pointing out the imposters, and you're going to just become judgmental, right? We don't need to become judgmental. What we need to be is, is what, what the Bible does tell us to be. We need to be fruit inspectors, like, because the, the Bible's very clear. Like, how, how does Jesus say that, 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 you, that his disciples will be made known? By their fruit, right. By the love in which they have for, for one another and by their fruit, right? So we, we are called as believers in Christ, and let's say as a church, we are called to be fruit inspectors. But we are not called to be judgmentalists. Now, some will say, well, what's the difference between you know, if fruit inspectors and judgmental. It's the, it's the motivation behind that. Because what happens too often is we try to pick out points in people's lives that they're doing wrong and try to judge them for that instead of helping a brother and a sister in a time and, or an area in which they are, are, are weak. Or maybe it's a blind spot to them. So the, 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 the fruit inspector aspect here is we need to be able to know what is genuine because that's how we uh, identify imposters. Same way I think it was is the Secret Service or, or, or whatever when they look, are looking for counterfeit uh, currency. They don't study all of the different types of counterfeit cur- currency. They study the genuine article. Therefore, when the counterfeit comes, they can see, oh, that doesn't match up with... The genuine article. Same thing here. We need to know what is genuine. We need to know what it means to be a brother or a sister in Christ, to be a follower, a follower of Jesus who does bear fruit. Therefore, when an imposter comes in, we can say, hey, we've got to keep an eye on him. We've got to keep an eye on her. Because have they deliberately come in here to deceive? And believe this or not, The devil is very good at what he does. And the devil can easily, and when I say easily, it's because we need to be better at this, can easily sneak into a church and cause disruption. The devil is not out at the bar right now. His whole entourage, they're not out having some beers and watching whatever, the AAF, whatever, the Alliance of American Football, that's what's on now, right? Whatever, the fake football. Uh, they're not out there. What, what they're doing is they're, they're, they have deceptively deceived individuals and are infiltrating churches so that they can cause disruption. Some of you are like, well, wait a second. We're inside of a church. The, the devil isn't, they can't come inside here. Oh, yes, he can. And he would, no, would like nothing worse than to come in here and cause disruption. What we have to do is we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of imposters. The second thing. Oh, sweet, I ain't got a, t- a clock back here today, so I can go all day long. <laughs> Take my watch off. and <laughs> The second thing, we need to ad- identify the entrance of the enemy. What, what do you mean, identify the entrance of the enemy? How did he get in here? So, yeah, right there, it says secretly. It says that they were brought in secretly. I love this. An imposter or, or, or the, the enemy is not going to walk through the door saying, I'm here to deceive. Everybody look. I got my red costume on with my pitchfork and my pointy horns. Like the devil has arrived, prepared to be deceived. Nah, it doesn't work like that. What? 
It says that they were secretly brought in. So I think that we need to understand that this secretly brought in, it's designating something new being brought in to an environment in a clandestine manner. I love that word. Clandestine manner. Everybody, everybody say it with me. Clandestine. clandestine. Anybody know what it means? Oh. And, 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 and just think about what we're talking about in a secretive manner so that it can't be seen, so that it, it's not uh, um, noticeable to anyone but those who are doing what it is that they're doing. Think of like secret societies and stuff. They do things in, in clandestine locations, like the UFO people, and, you know, or what's it now, the, the, the Bigfoot, right? You know, it's, but think about this. It's, they're brought in, secretly brought in, this enemy comes in secretly, slips in the door, but most times not even through the door. It's usually like over the wall. And what I think of is John 10. Keep, keep your, your finger here and go back to, to John real quick. John t- chapter 10, verse 1. Hey, Bobby, you dropped all your, Thanks, your papers there. John chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He goes on to say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So if, if, if we're talking about the, the, the enemy here, these imposters, they're going to slip in, but they're, they're probably not going to come in and do it the right way. They're going to sneak in through a back door, over a wall, climb through a window. I mean, if you're, if you're like my wife, she is paranoid about creatures coming through our windows at night. I think, like, I don't know what kind of creatures. We're on the second story. Yeah, you are. No, that's not Michaela. We're on the second story, and we had to put all the blinds down on the second story because I don't people will, walk, will look in. So, I don't know. I haven't figured you out after all this time. But anywho, I don't know where that came from. So... <laughs> She knows exactly what I'm talking about, and I'll pay for it later. <laughs> Y'all witness that. Like, if I come to church next week with a black eye, it's not because of volleyball. <laughs> yes, if you saw my daughter, she has a black eye, and it was caused by me. We ran into each other last night. I called the ball. She called the ball. I'm bigger, though. I'm dad, but she, we're both Cackners, and... <laughs> And there's smoke and everything, but yeah. Anywho, we got the point and we won. Yeah, that was awesome. That's the but. Yeah, she does. She has a nice shiner. So uh, just tell her. I don't know something. Looks great. Where are we at? Identify the the entrance of the enemy. Secretly brought. And what we have to understand is we need to be aware of the um uh what what would you call it the chinks in our armor the weak spots. Because usually where the, the weak spots are is where the enemy's going to creep in. Everybody has a different weak spot. Every church has a different weak spot. I think that we have to be aware of those and not just point them out, just like we were talking at the beginning, point out problems, but be part of the solution. Hey, we need, So one of the things that, that, that we're praying about here as a church is one of the weak spots in which we have that, that we, or we see that we need to do a better job of, not that we're not doing a good or a, an adequate job now, but we need to do a better job of is with our youth. We need a, a, a youth program, especially the, the, the senior high, because that, that, that could be a weak area where the devil can kind of come in and start to distort minds. And everybody's read statistics, right? 
that once kids get, get out of, I'm sorry, young adults graduate high school uh, and they get into college, that overwhelming majority, it's like 80-some percent, never go back to church. Well, we want to stop that because I, I look at that as that's, that, that's the, the, the deception of the enemy coming in and telling him, well, you don't need that. Well, no, you really do. You need to be around God's people. But we need to ha- figure out how to, how to bridge that gap. What, what do we need to do? How do we shore up that, that, that area there? So if you want something to pray about, pray along with the elders on that. We've been praying for that, about that for a while. We've got some ideas and, and stuff, but still need wisdom. So the, identify the interests of the enemy. So that was the second one. Third one. This is a cool one. And, and uh, oh man, I got plenty of time. Number three. Understand the value of what you have. Now, when it says here, yet because of false brothers who secretly, who secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out what? Our freedom that we have in Christ. This observation is we need to understand the value of what we have. What, do I, what am I talking about? We need to understand the value of being free in Christ. Too often what, what happens is that we say, oh, I'm saved, and then we try to just work like heck to, to, to be a good Christian. And, and what we forget is what we've been saved to, right? We are free now in Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I, I, I wrote a few things down here. Because Christ sets us free from, from many things, but three primary things that, that, that I, I think that we need to note is that Christ sets us free from, number one, the penalty of sin. Again, keep your, your hand here, your finger here, whatever, your nose here. Go back to, to Romans, which is to the left, a couple, few uh, pages. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So when we're talking about this, this what it was that these Judaizers were coming in uh, to, to, uh, to spy out, this freedom in Christ, one was the penalty of sin. We, as Christians, as believers in Christ, we are free from the penalty of sin, which is ultimate. So that on the day of judgment, when we stand in front and have to give account for everything that we've said and everything that we've done, let that sink in for a second, or everything that we write, or everything that we don't do, we give account for everything. What we have to understand is we have to rest in in the truth that the penalty of sin the eternal uh, separation from God, eternal damnation, we are free from that because Christ has paid that penalty. Now we have to accept that. And, and I love the, the illustration. I used it, on, um, I used it around the, the, uh, the, the holidays, you know, Christmas and uh, New Year's. We talk about when we're, we have gifts. What we have to do is we have to receive the gift that's been given to us. What's the gift? The free gift of God is salvation, Right? But I also believe that what we have to do is when we receive that, we don't need to walk around with that box in our hand all the time, right? What we have to do is we have to receive this gift, this gift which is the, penalty, or the, 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 the freedom from penalty of sin, but we have to enjoy this gift. If, I, if Jennifer handed me a gift, I can, I can hold this gift and I can walk around. It might be the best gift ever, but if I leave it in the box and I walk around like this, I got a gift. Look at me, everybody. I got a gift. 
Aren't you jealous of me? I got a gift. Right? It's the best gift. But if I don't open it up, and I, and I don't not, not only receive it, but if I don't enjoy what the gift is, and I, I tell you guys this all the time, that I think that that's the difference between knowing it in your head and believing it in your heart. Because I, I've met a lot of people who, who have received the gift of salvation from God in their head. I know what it means. I know what Jesus has done. I know this in my head but they have yet to open it up and enjoy what Christ has done in their heart. That drop hasn't went that 18 inches. For, for Ogre, it's 22 and a half. But <laughs> it hasn't went to that distance from here to, to, to here. And I think that what we have to understand is if we're going to understand the, the, the magnitude of why these guys were coming in to spy out this freedom, we have to understand that Christ sets us free from the penalty of sin. But it's not only a penalty of sin, it's the power of sin and Satan that he separates us or he frees us from as well. Uh, one of my favorite verses, it will one of my favorite books, Colossians. Turn to the right a couple. Keep your finger in Galatians. I didn't know we were going to do the sword drill today. I'm sorry, you're in church. Um, Christ sets us free from not only the penalty of sin, but He also sets us free from the power of, of, of Satan and sin. Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, uh, 13 and 14. I love this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So no longer does sin have power over us. If you want more on this, you can in your own time read uh, uh, Romans chapter 6. It's another good uh, um, uh, a chapter about this. But no longer, as believers in Jesus Christ, does sin have power over us. Some of you will sit here and say, though, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. But I have this sin that I just can't get rid of. I I'll tell you what, maybe I don't know what it is that you're dealing with. But I can tell you, without even knowing the situation, I can tell you how you're dealing with it, and you're not dealing with it the right way. Because we have power over sin. Christ came and His sacrifice on the cross, it says that, that all of our sins were nailed to the cross. All of our debts were paid. Whatever it is that, 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 that you're, you're struggling with right now, that was paid too. But what you're doing is you're believing the lie of the, dece the deceiver, the devil, and you're acting as if, and, and, and you're living, I should say, as, as if that that sin has power over you. The only reason it has power over you is because you're letting it have power over you. Because it says that we have been set free from the power of sin. We are no longer under that bondage of sin. Because just think about it, some, and again, I'll have this pushback, but you don't really understand, it's hard. I didn't say it was going to be easy. It may be the most difficult thing in, in, in your life that you're, you have to deal with up until this point. But the Bible is very clear that Christ conquered all sin. He conquered Satan, sin, and death. And because He's conquered them all, that we can live victorious in those areas, whatever that sin is that you're dealing with in your life. But if you're saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, you're, you're right, you can't. Because you're trying to do it. Remember, 
under your own power, on your own terms. And that's not how God designed us, especially as a believer in, the, in Jesus Christ. Because if we're, so if we're going to claim Him as Father, if we're going to claim, we're going to wave the banner of I'm a Christian, what we have to understand is not only is a, are we free from the penalty of sin, but that we are already free from the power of sin. So, that means if you are in sin, or when you fall into sin, whatever it may be, understand that you, and only you, are choosing to do that. You have that choice. Before Christ, no, you didn't have that choice, because that's just your nature. After Christ, you have the, the, the choice to sin or not to sin. That is a question, right? Because the, the, the power of sin is no longer over us. Now, let me, let me also throw this caveat out there. The effects of sin are very real. Sin is very real. And to, to think that you can be, that I can be, that we can be in sin, and it's not going to affect anyone but me. If, say if I'm in sin and I can say, well, it's just a secret sin. No one else knows about it. It's, it's just mine. If I, if, that, if, I, if I have that mindset, which that's what the devil wants me to have, that's what the enemy wants me to do is to be deceived and to think that, well, it's just, you know, it's that little secret thing no one else knows about. Here's the deal. It will affect other people. Sin never does not affect. Is that even the right proper way to say that? Sin ne never does not affect only one person, right? It always has effect. And if you are, 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 are I don't want to say narrow-minded, and I don't want to say stupid because that's not it, but if you are so deceived into thinking that your sin does not affect anyone else, just look at the cross. Because, yeah, maybe it's not affecting the person that's sitting beside you because maybe you've done a really good job of hiding it. But, but the cross still paid, Christ still paid for that sin on the cross. So it had to affect at least one more person, right? Don't ever fall into that, that, that mindset that it, ah, it's okay and be comfortable with that sin. No, no. You can, you've been set free from the power of, of Satan's sin. Here's the next one. The third set free here. Christ sets you free from the pollution of sin. How, what do you mean the pollution of sin? The way in which it affects you. You don't have to, to, to uh, uh, res, re, I should say, react to all this crap that goes on around in your life. In Christ, look at, look at verse, uh, or chapter 1 verse in Galatians here. Chapter 1 verses um, 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We can be delivered from this, this, this present evil age. It doesn't mean that we act like nothing happens. It means that when we interact with th things around us, we don't have to uh, absorb like a sponge those sins. It's almost as if we've got a, 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 a waterproof coating. What's that stuff that you spray on your boots? Gore-Tex, Gore yeah, that you can spray on. Like, so sin doesn't stick to you. You can understand that you don't have to absorb that. Why do you not absorb that? Because the pollution of sin you are set free from. Now if we're going to get through all the rest of these three, I've got to get rolling. So let's understand the value of what you have. Number four. Oh. Yes, I know that. 
on the six observations, so we're living free when confronted with enemies of grace. We went through, number one was beware of the imposters. Two, identify the entrance of the enemy. Number three was understand the value, that you, the value of what you have. Number four is identify the objective of the enemy. I think this one's really easy, really quick. Just ask, like, what's, what's this dude's motive? What's his main objective here? That's what, what we have to, to look at, and we know that it was so that... They were secretly brought in to spy out the freedom which we had in Christ so that, what's it say there? That they might bring us into slavery. The objective of these Judaizers and the object, objective of the enemy is to keep you in bondage or to put you into bondage, to keep you in effect, ineffective. So when we're looking at this, we have to understand, okay, enemies of grace, they want me to be ineffective. Ineffective in what? Ineffective in your witness for Christ. In, in your Christian life. That's what he wants you to, to, to be ineffective in. All right, I'm going to move quick. Uh, next one. Number five, understand the first line of offense is a good defense. Right? The best offense is a good defense. Everybody, I mean, in sports, that's a, it's an easy one. What do we, we understand that? Well, it's where it says here, to them we did not yield in submission. They didn't give in to them. So their, their, their first uh, 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 offensive play here was to be in, have good defense. What's the good defense? They were standing firm in the truth. Standing firm in the truth. Three things real quick on that. And I know you guys have got your pot roast in, but it'll be all right. It'll still be there. The dog won't eat it. What, 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 are th- I, what are these three things? I have three things that, that, that uh, I identify here of standing firm in the truth. Are these the only three things? No, but I think these are three really good ones to start with. The first one, God's grace has no strings attached. There's, there are no strings attached to God's grace. Well, how can you say that? Don't we have to? Well, no, it, it, it says we understand grace as the unmerited favor of God. There cannot be any strings attached. If there were any strings attached, it would not be grace, right? The second thing, I told you I was going to go quick. The only way to be accepted by God is through faith in the finished work of Christ. That's something we need to stand, we have to be standing firm in the truth. The only way to be accepted before God is faith in the finished work of what Jesus has already done. Remember, it is finished. That's where we put our trust, our faith, everything. It's not a bunch of list of rules of things to do and not to do. It's standing firm and I know what he's already done. Third thing here, God's pleasure is not based on your performance, but on what Christ has already done. That's a big one for some people. Like, i got to work hard. I mean, no, do we have a responsibility to be faithful to God? Absolutely, we have a responsibility to be faithful. But we're not working, and God's not measuring our performance as if he has a, a, a chart with gold stars. I know you all like gold stars, right? i got five gold stars. Look at me. I'm good. God does not have a gold star chart. Some of you are going to go home and burn yours now, right? I'm not against gold stars. I like gold stars. Give me a gold star. No. Understand that God does not have a chart and he's not measuring your performance on what you have done. He's not measuring how much he loves you or how much he's upset with you of what you're doing. He measures our performance on what Christ has already done. And by us putting our faith and trust in him. Number six and we're done. I hear the yawns. The crazy thing is you all go out of here and you have more energy when you go out than when you came in with. 
You know why? Because you've been fed well. Just saying. <clears throat> Number six on the, the six observations. Understand the importance of preserving the truth for others. Keep your finger here and turn back to uh, Proverbs chapter 19. It's the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 19. For those of you that, that are the, uh, the ones that want to earn the gold star, uh, read uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9 today on your own. And uh, this kind of goes along with the same, but I ain't, ain't got time to go through all that. But in Proverbs chapter 19, verses 20 and 21, it says this, Listen to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. When I say here that we need to understand the importance of preserving the truth for others, you might have an awesome idea. But does your idea line up with the truth of God? Because in the end, the truth of God is what is going to stand. And it is the truth of God that is going to transform lives. It is the truth of God that has transformed the world. And he says here, look, look, look back in, in Galatians 2 there. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul encountered these Judaizers before and stood up to them and said, no, what you're doing is not right. But the reason that he did that is so now as he's writing to these Galatians, he can say, I've stood up to these guys before and the, 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 the truth of the gospel is worth fighting for. And what we have to understand is the truth of the gospel is that our righteousness comes by faith alone, not by anything else. So as, we, as we've looked at these things, I know we kind of went through a lot here, but remember that none of us want to be an enemy of grace. None of us want to fall into that legalistic category or slide into legalism at any, at any moment. So what we need to do is we need to be aware of, of these things, but also we need to be aware of those that are around us because we want to preserve... Like I said about the youth, we want to preserve the gospel of truth for others, for that next generation. And that's up to us. Let's pray. Our Father God, we do thank you, uh, Lord, as uh, I know that we covered a lot today. Uh, God, I, I pray that um, through all that we covered, that, um, Lord, that, that your word is seen, your word is heard, and your truth um, just, just comes to life in us. God, we don't want to be enemies of grace. God, we know that, that you love us no matter what. But God, if we really truly understand the love and the grace and the mercy and everything that you've given to us, we would want to bear fruit for you. So God, just stir in us something that, that, that's, that, that's new right now. Maybe it's not a, a gigantic thing, but just, just start start to stir in us a little bit more and then a little bit more so that we can live each day for you. God, uh, convict us of the sins in which we say that we don't have power over. Convict us of those sins. Let us see that we can have freedom in Christ from those sins. And God, let us live in that freedom. And let, let not anyone come in and try to take it away. Lord Jesus, it's because of what you've done 
that we sit here today and we, we proclaim the, the good news. And Holy Spirit, it's only by your power that we're able to do this. We love you, God. We thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.